This is The Drive with Dale Lally and Matt Williamson on your 24-7 home of the black and gold. SNR. Steelers Nation Radio. Welcome to The Drive. I'm Dale Lally here with Matt Williamson. And Matt, we're starting to uh, to get an idea uh, of what the Steelers coaching staff is going to look like. Uh, uh, last week, the Steelers hiring Frisman Jackson to uh, to be their wide receivers coach. Uh, we talked a little bit about that after it happened. On uh, Tuesday, the team hiring Pat Meyer as their new offensive line coach. Um, this move was immediately panned because, well, Pat Meyer is not Mike Munchak. <laughs> I was about to say, yeah, the poor guy isn't Mike Munchak. So He's not Mike Munchak. We so don't like him poor. anymore. Yeah, yeah, right, right. And I saw a lot of stuff out there. People, well, his offensive lines, because he had been, he, he was the offensive line coach the last two seasons for the Carolina Panthers. Mm-hmm. The three seasons before that, he was the offensive line coach for the Chargers. Uh, and people immediately threw out there the pro football focus offensive line. Oh, uh, no. Those, okay. Yeah. Um, and that shows that's the Bible. Yeah. Yes. That yeah. shows yeah. that he was somehow a bad position coach. So I did a little digging. I'm sure you did. I did. I, I want to know more about this guy. I, I'll be completely pulled back the curtains. Never heard of the guy before this. I didn't two days ago. If you asked me who that was, I'm like, did I go to high school with him? Is he <laughs> someone I knew in college? I, I don't know that person. Yeah. Yeah. So in 2021, the Panthers were 20th rushing the football in 2020. They were 21st. Okay. That doesn't sound that good. Uh, with the chargers, uh, they ran the ball uh, in 2019. 24th and uh, 15 or 2018, they were 15th in 2017. His first season, they were 21st. Again, looks bad if it does it not. Then you realize that in his two seasons with the Carolina Panthers, Christian McCaffrey missed 22 of the team's 33 football games. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. You think it's a big deal? You think that might have had something to do with his <laughs> with the team's ability to run the football? <laughs> um, and then digging even a little bit more. Uh, so if you look back to that 2017 season with the Chargers, here was the Chargers starting offensive line. Russell Okung at left tackle. Mm-hmm. A, a, a nice you know, he's, he's a, a serviceable player for yes. his career, yeah. The starting guards were rookie Dan Feeney and Kenny Wiggins. Okay. All right. The center was Spencer Pulley, and the right tackle was Joe Barksdale. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, my turn. I, I was assuming you'd cite the McCaffrey thing. I didn't think that was going to slip by you. But you just mentioned the dudes he coached with the Chargers and then San Diego, I presume. The yes. guys in Carolina aren't much better to be no, very honest not. with you. It was about this time last year where the Panthers went out of their way to go get Cameron Irving and Matt Paradis. And there was somebody else that they spent money on that all of us rolled their eyes. Like that's what you're going to do in the first wave of free agency. I mean, these guys have been problems everywhere they've gone but meanwhile, they've developed a couple decent tackles in Carolina, too. You know, Williams yeah. and Mouton. Taylor Mouton, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, I also think, and this is certainly more true in Carolina than with the Chargers, and frankly, the Steelers saw this this year, when your quarterback is Teddy Bridgewater <laughs> or Sam Darnold, who's just swimming the whole time, 
you're not going to run the ball very well with backup running backs and no. a bad talent at offensive line. So right. I don't know if he's a good position coach or not. I'm just telling you what I do know about his circumstances. Yeah. In in 2018 with the Chargers, they went out and got Mike Pouncey as their as their big free agent signing as to play center. Yeah, from the Dolphins, right. Yeah. So they still had Okung. They had the other guys were all uh, basically new guys as well uh, along that offensive line. Other than Barksdale, they plug in Mike Pouncey. And they ended up finishing 15th in the league in rushing that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's with Philip Rivers at quarterback, by the way, who adds nothing to the equation. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's actually a really good point. And a side note is when we look at these, who are the best rushing teams in the league? Of course, quarterback rushing matters, but it's also sort of a side note too. You know, yeah. if Philip Rivers gives you zero, that's a lot that you're asking from the ball carriers. Yeah, you're probably not going to finish in the top 10. Mm-mm. Uh, so then finally in 2019, they ran it back with a lot of those guys and actually added, uh, uh, a rookie center. I think Scott Quisenberry was added there that year. Okay. Uh, but the idea wasn't to play him because they had Pouncey and they had Okung. Right, right, right. Who all of a sudden got old on them. Well, Okung didn't play in 2019 because he had a pulmonary embolism. So there goes your starting left tackle. Pouncey didn't play a game that year because of a neck injury. So there goes your yeah, starting yeah. center. And well, they, they dip back down in, in terms of offensive line play again. And Anthony Lynn's entire staff got fired. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, even just as a charger overview, you know, they realized, boy, we've been trotting out bad offensive linemen now for a long time. We're going to go make Corey Lindsley the highest paid center in the league. We're going to go get Matt Filer. We're going to draft Rashawn Slater in the first round. Like, I bet, you know, he's sitting there in Carolina going, you could have done that for me. <laughs> you know, like, and even the Panthers, they could have taken Slater too for him and they took Horn, you know. Right. Nothing right. against Horn, but give the guy something to work with. That's the whole point. You know, people look at these coaches in a vacuum and they don't look at what they're working with. I That's think why that I hate talking about assistant coaches. Right. You don't know. Yeah, I mean, you can't judge a receiver coach on how many balls the receivers caught that year. I mean, that's not the, it's not just apples to apples that that's simple. No, who's the quarterback matters, who's the running back that matters, who yeah. who missed a season as it was the case in 2019 for for Meyer mm-hmm. and, and with the Chargers. I mean, you take your two best players, Pouncey Pouncey and Okung were their two best offensive yeah, yeah, right, right, right. They were legit guys. Your starter your starting center and left tackle and you take them out of the equation. It's not going to look better. It's not I don't care who you are. I don't right. care if you're the greatest. Uh, bring, again, give Mike Munchak that. I guarantee you they're not finishing any higher than what that team did. I, again, I, right, I, right, right, right. I, I don't know if this guy's a good coach or not. I have no again, idea. Yeah. But I'm not going to simply look at, at these rankings or look at this stuff and say, well, he, he coached for you know, bad teams and therefore the, he stinks or you know, pro football focus says he, his, his lines were terrible, so he stinks. No, there there are many things here that matter in factoring the equation. How well are you bringing along young guys? You know, what kind of uh, pedigree were you given with these young guys? Um, The things that none of us will ever know. How are you contributing to game plans and the way they run different runs 
throughout the week of preparation, you know, things like that, you know, how are you, how do you handle your offensive line room? You know, are you teaching guys? Well, do you adjust during the game when, boy, I didn't think they'd run a bare front. They're throwing a bunch of bare fronts at us. You know, what, what running plays are we going to switch to now? You know, those type of things, you know, protection, um, you know, the, the different uh, communication that goes on and protection and things like that. And I'm not defending them or criticizing them. I don't know anything about the guy, but they do. And I trust them to hire the right people. Yeah. They're not going to go out and just hire the first guy. Well, he's the only guy that applied. Uh, so that's all we're going to talk to or things of that. Like, I, I just, I, I don't know. I, sometimes I think that Mike Tomlin at this point in his career can't win no matter who he hires, because when he hires Terrell Austin as his defensive coordinator, well, he was just down the hall. They, they just promote internally. When he goes yeah. outside the organization to hire somebody, well, this guy's never won. Okay, well, Terrell Austin coached on three Super Bowl teams and won one. You just said he wasn't a good hire because he hired him from down the hall. Despite, right, right. Despite the fact that you hired him just two years ago. These guys are so set in their ways. They're just going to promote from within. And then you go outside the organization. That's not good enough either. Yeah. Your point is valid, though, that the biggest thing going against them is he's not Mike Bunchak. You know, everyone has this high in the sky theory. And I don't know what Munch is going to do. Is he going to retire? Is he going to be a coach next year? Who knows? I'm sure they had conversations, though. I've been told he's not going to be a coach next year. I don't know if Mm -hmm. he retires, but he's like in his life. He's 62 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, do you done a lot? Yeah. Um, he doesn't need the money. He's been a head coach in the league before. So he's he's played in a league. He's been played in the league and had a Hall of Fame career. He's got money. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, it's all about you know, quality of life. How does he want to spend this time? Yeah. Right, right. And, you right. know, so, you know, this is a coaching in the NFL. I don't think people understand. I, again, I see a lot of this such and such player just retired. Would he be a good coach? Guys oh. who guys who retire now who are star players who've played in the last 20 years, they don't need to coach. Right. If they've it handled their be. money. Yeah. If they've right. handled their money correctly, they don't need to coach. No, no. I mean, even if you last in the league as a long-term backup for 10 years or um, Josh McCown. I mean, Josh McCown must have millions in the bank. He played a long time at a quarterback position, even if he was never a high-end He was making $3 million a year. (laughs) Right. We could all live off that. (laughs) So so there's got to be some want to there. There's got – because – Coaches There's to be extreme one too. You know, yeah. like guys like Sean Payton are like, I need a break, man. This is hard. Yeah. You know, I mean, you, you hear at the highest level. Yeah. I mean, uh, McVay said it after the Super Bowl that, mm-hmm. that, you know, maybe I, you know, I might want to take a step away now. It, this is a taxing job. You put it more hours as a coach than, you, than the players do. Oh, you don't see your family at all. It's hard on your health. I mean, all the above. I mean, and I'm sure some are impervious to it, but many get kind of tired of people like us criticizing every fourth down call that they ever make. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, they're never right. Then, you know, why, you know, why would you hire this offensive line coach? I haven't heard of. Yeah. Cause that said, yeah. you know, I know, I understand that the, that people look at this and go, well, they've just hired two coaches from the outside who were, who were, who were let go by the Carolina Panthers. Okay. I get that. I, I, get, I get that. That's fine. Okay. But to your point, the past two seasons, yeah, you've had a Christian McCaffrey, your best offensive weapon, has played 11 games. Yep. And you've run Teddy Bridgewater, P.J. Walker, Sam Darnold, and then Cam, the ghost of Cam Newton out onto the field. 
Yes, and a bad O line. I mean, in terms of personnel too. I mean, yeah. it's been a it's a bad group, right? Not much of a tight end presence. You know, I mean, it's a it's a bad offense. Yeah. I, I also don't think it's an accident that you promote from within defensively, and you go outside the organization offensively. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's yeah. probably not a coincidence. Probably not. Uh, and I, I wrote this on DKPittsburghSports.com uh, that. You know, I think you need to at least give this guy a year and oh, yeah. see what he does with Dan Moore, with Kendrick Green in their second seasons. Mm-hmm. Is there is there a market improvement by those guys? Are they going to, you know, whoever they add to the equation? Because they're going to add somebody to the equation. Yeah, they're not going to roll out the same group. It's not going to be, line. yeah, it's not going to be the same line that they had before. What does the line look like after that season? And then tell me whether this guy's a good coach or not. Right, right, right. I, I think we'll see that early, you know, like, boy, even in camp, Dan Moore is playing a lot better. Okay. You know, I mean, and, and I don't know that either one of us will go to this extreme and study his techniques, you know, down to the right, the hand placement and the, the foot placement. We'll save that for Wolf. On, yeah. You know, I mean, but it, we, I, I'm sure you'll notice different results and uh, this guy's going to look at everything the same and say, okay, okay. Did anyone ever tell you to try this? No, I haven't heard that. Well, we're going to try that. You know, yeah, I mean, that's right. what coaching's all about, right? right that's right. what coaching's about, and it's all also about that game. You know, how do you study film? All those kind of things, the schematics of it all. Mm-hmm. Does, does it make a difference to you, Matt, that this guy was a strength and conditioning coach for a long time? Mm. <sighs> Makes me think tough, right? You know what I mean. It, Strength and conditioning coaches, I have a great respect for because kind of like special teams coaches, they deal with kickers and quarterbacks and defensive backs and nose tackles, you know, like they're not all the same. They're all great athletes. They're all professional football players, but they probably are good communicators. Sometimes they just bark at you, but I mean, they know how to push buttons and how to deal with a variety of uh, personality types. I think that's important. And they're almost always going to be tough. You know, I mean, that's one of their biggest jobs is to instill toughness, you know? Yeah. So this guy has a background in that. He was, he was a strength and conditioning coach in college for about 10 years before mm-hmm. he made the switch over to becoming an offensive line coach. I wonder, I mean, I'm just totally spitballing here. Will he look at the guys he has and say, man, if we could get 10 more pounds on Kendrick green, or what if we shave, five pounds off Dan Moore jr. Or, you know what I mean? Right. Or, you know, his, I think I remember him as a prospect and I thought he was a better bender than this. Are we working on his flexibility enough or, you know, just have a chip in his own take on conditioning and, you know, what they've done to this point. Yeah. It's just a different set of eyes, a a different way of viewing these guys as opposed to just being the offensive line coach. Um, Absolutely. Jerry Olsavsky, uh, the Steelers inside linebackers coach, started his career that way. He was a, he was a strength yeah, and yeah. conditioning coach. Uh, amazingly enough, they're both from Youngstown. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so maybe it's something in the water in Youngstown that, uh, you okay. know, you get these guys who are, uh, you know, strength and Former conditioning strength coaches. Guys. Yeah. That, uh, you know, and he played in the NFL for, you know, he kicked around the league for a little while. So he's got that background going for him as well. So, there's, there's, there's some things there that you look at and you say, okay, that that's a check mark in his favor. Um, yeah. I think that is the, the yeah, background I, yeah. of strength and conditioning. It's definitely a check mark in his favor. Yeah. No I mean, he'll be able to, he'll be able to preach that stuff pretty well to that offensive line 
you know, even uh, and of course the Steelers have a strength and conditioning, uh, you know, of course, of course, staff, staff, but just hammering that stuff home in the meeting room. Um, like he, right. hey, here's guys, we need to be stronger. We need to be tougher, not just saying it, but showing them how to do it. See, here's a misnomer. I bet a lot of people don't understand is if you talk to NFL people and players, a lot of them will tell you I was in my best shape combine time, yeah. you know, you know, like, <laughs> you know, when I've been around the pit program and they made you lift and you came in at 7am and buddy Morris had them carry logs up the steps and all this kind of stuff in the NFL. And I'm not being critical of Steelers staff. This is for 32 teams. If a guy's not really interested in working out or he does it on the side, you don't have as much power over him, you yeah. know, like, and so where I'm going with this is your position coach might say, Hey, how much are you working on your squats or, you know, whatever, you know, and I'm just spitballing, but it, a lot of these guys, everyone just assumes, well, he's going to get a lot stronger in the NFL. Not all do, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, some of them peak out at like 21 or so when they're trying to do combine events. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, to your point, a lot of that is on the player. Um, you know, a lot of it's just maintenance. I need to get through yeah. 17 plus games. I don't need to get my bench up from 450 to 465. Yeah, because if you don't do the if you don't do those things, if you don't do the maintenance work, a you're going to probably get injured a lot. B you're probably right. there's a good chance you're not going to be around. They'll find somebody else. Right. I mean, you're here to <laughs> maximize your earning potential, and that's by staying on the field. Not boy, my bench went up ten you know ten uh, pounds since two weeks ago. Who cares? Yeah. Right. That leads me to something else I wanted to talk about, Matt, and that's um, Marquise Pouncey posted a a photo of himself uh, at the gym last week working out with Kendrick Green. Yeah, I heard. Okay. Um, You know, I've been told uh, that that was at the behest of Mike Tomlin. Uh, Hey, Mm -hmm. go talk to this guy. This guy knows how to play the position. Um, if you look at that photo, and I realize Marquise Pouncey's dropped a lot of weight since his playing time. Okay. People saying Kendrick Green is too small to play center in the NFL. See, I never thought that was the case. You need to look at that photo. It's all it's for okay. for Green. It's about it's about knowing how to play the angles and the leverage. Yeah, I'd say it's more anything. hand placement and getting his hips down, and it's not strength or size. No, he was he's one of the he was one of the top weight room guys in the history of the of the University of Illinois football program. Right, right, right. Like no, he's he holds, not lacking for he holds records or, there. <laughs> right, 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 right. No, a hundred percent. Again, I, I don't know what Pouncey looks like nowadays. I didn't see the photo, but he's certainly going to be a good influence, and certainly understands the Steeler way and what Tomlin wants out of the position. Be a different, you know, quarterback now. Um, but yeah, you're right. I'm glad you brought it up about Green because it's not like boy, they need to. He needs to eat his Wheaties and bulk up. I, that's not the issue. I mean, in terms of handling nose tackle types. It also implies to me, which Labs has been saying when he comes on with us, is the Steelers see Green as a center. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, that's about you don't do that with him if you're going to move him to guard next year. Right, right, right. So <laughs> you know. they must still think that there's a lot here to work with. He's going to be our starting center. The year one didn't go quite as planned, but we got a new coach, a new mentor. There's a lot there to work with. You and I like Green a lot coming out of school. I mean – that's a hard position to get thrown to the wolves in too. Yeah. Especially if you, you haven't done it a lot. Um, and I, th- I thought, I thought, honestly, if you looked at that line last year, it was getting better until about week 10. It was, on, 
things were things were looking better and better and better. And then in week 10, Kevin Dotson got hurt. Mm-hmm. And then over the next three weeks, they were shuffling guys in and out of that left guard position like crazy before finally five of them throughout the year. Yeah. Before. Yeah. So it's four guys in basically three games. The next three games played that spot. And then they settled on John McClue to do it because he was basically mm-hmm. the last healthy guy to, <laughs> available. The other guys all got hurt. So yes. you had an entire left side of your offensive line from center over that was essentially rookies. And I thought that hurt Kendrick Green's development as much as anything because he didn't I'm have, sure. you know, the center position is often more of a help position. When oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Blocking. Um, if, if, if you don't trust or don't aren't as in tune with a guy to your left as you should be, it's going to show up. It's going to show up. There, there's no doubt about that. Um, I, I figured we'd talk a line today and just to slightly change gears when I'm looking, the more I think about it for the Steelers offensive line of how they should attack it going forward. I don't know that I'm spending money on certainly not the Teron Armsteads of the world or the, you know, Brandon Schreffs or the super expensive guys, but I might get one more than I need. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I don't want to deal with, no offense to LeGlue, but I don't want to deal with the next version of LeGlue. I want seven guys on my team that I think can start, even if none of them are pro bowlers. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. And, yeah, you know, can Joe Haig be one of those guys? Maybe. Possibly. Maybe yeah, he'd be maybe. seven or eight in that right. conversation. Yeah, and if, six, if, that's, you know yeah I mean? that's, if that's the situation you're in, that's a much better situation. To me, that's why it makes sense to, you know, if you're going to go out and, and spend money in free agency, mm-hmm. um, I want to get a nice young uh, up and coming guard to plug in there. Yeah. Uh, like, a, like a James Daniel uh, from mm-hmm. the bears who who's still 24 years old and, and has already played a lot of foot good, a lot of good football and his best days are ahead of him. That's a good one. You know, Connor Williams was a guy we've talked about a little bit too off the air from Dallas coming off his first contract, plug and play guard. Those guys aren't going to the hall of fame or pro bowls, but they're, Solid players that probably will be starters for their entire next contract, if not longer. Yeah, that they're going to, you know, they're going to be starting. The, you know, you're going to have that same, possibly have that same starting unit together then for multiple seasons, as and, opposed to as opposed to going out and getting the next Trey Turner, who's a you know get a, going and getting a thirty something plug plug in. We're just going to get by with this guy for a year, right? Well, right then right. you're then you're back in the same market again next year. I'd with rather get a guy and, and and plug him in there. With all respect to Munchak, who's phenomenal. I mean, that has nothing to do with what I'm saying here. One of the benefits that that era had, unlike any I can remember in the league for the last decade or so, is the continuity. I yeah. mean, they ran the same guys out there year after year. You just don't see that in this league. And if you can get some semblance of that, and all of them are Ramon Foster, Al Villanueva levels. They, they don't have to be the DeCastro pouncy first round pick stars, but they're all, you got five Ramones and Villanuevas out there. You'll be just fine. Yeah. In, in today's NFL, if you've Cincinnati got, might be holding a trophy right now. Yeah. Five of those, if you, know you know had I mean? five average average and offensive line starters, mm-hmm. you're probably a top 12 offensive line. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe better. Maybe, maybe better. better. Maybe yeah. better. I mean, yeah, I'd love to have Trent Williams or I'd love to have Quentin Nelson. And the Steelers first round pick might this year might turn into a player like that. Who knows? I mean, that's a possibility. But I don't think 
I would take more of the Bills approach a couple of years back where they they added like five or six free agents and just said all mid-level gonna, guys. Never no, yeah, all no high price guys. guys. Yeah. Yeah. Mitch Morse was like the guy they spent the most on. And he's okay. He's a starting center, but he's not special. And we're gonna have eight starting offensive linemen. None of them are gonna be stars. And we're all going to come to camp and we're going to compete and we're going to figure out who our best five is and we're sticking with it. And then if you've got eight or nine of them, you can trade one of them. You, you know, that as well, right. There's always a, there's, there's always, always a need. A, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think that, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with, with, uh, with uh, Pat Meyer and, you know, whether that's a good, again, I, I don't know enough about the guy right now as we sit here to, to say whether that's a good or a bad hire. Nobody does. Anybody who says that they do is lying. Nobody knows, right? Yeah. I often talk about the two things in my job that I feel most uncomfortable speaking about is often coaching hires that are first-time head coaches and injuries. Like, you know, I don't know anything about ankle injuries. I didn't go to med school. You know, I mean, it's almost <laughs> the same level. Like, how am I going to tell you about an, an assistant coach, what he's going to be like as a head guy or, you know, a quarterback coach gets bumped to a coordinator or what was Frisman Jackson as, as a, a receivers coach. You really have to be there. Yeah. You got to see them work. You got to see them interact with the players. I think the interaction with the players is the biggest thing. Are these guys, Absolutely. are these guys engaging with the players or are they just kind of going through the motions and yeah. are, are the players tuning them out? Yeah. So that's what, that's what I want to see. Right. Yeah. But uh, we're going to take a break. He is Matt Williamson. I am Dale Lolly. You're listening to The Drive here on Steelers Nation Radio. When we come back, uh, Matt, you sent me an interesting article I wanted to take a look at here. Uh, We'll do that right after this.